0: Well, good morning. Good morning. That was a little weak. Let's try that again. Good morning. Good morning. Great to be back with you guys this morning. In case you haven't noticed, I'm not Pastor Doug. He is out on vacation with his wife, Sonia. In fact, they are just getting to the airport now to fly back in. And I'm going to be speaking to you today from this series that we've been in called The Best News. So let me invite you to take your Bible and to turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 3, 1 Peter chapter 3, we're only going to look at one verse this morning as I feel that one verse will adequately cover the subject at hand. Several weeks ago, I was asked by Pastor Doug if I could speak uh, as a part of this series because he'd be out of town, and I said, sure. I said, what do you want me to speak on? And he said, well, we're going to be in this series called Best News, and I want you to speak on the subject of fear as it relates to sharing the gospel. And I said, okay. I said, do you have a text in mind? He said, no, I don't. He said, you can pick whatever you want. And I said, okay, how about 1 Peter chapter 3? And I said, I'll just do verse 15. And he said, that works for me. So here we are, 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15. You know, as I was thinking about this subject of fear, one of the things that came to my mind is how difficult fear is to deal with. It's one of the most paralyzing and crippling things that we deal with in life. But what's interesting is fear is also one of the most captivating and enthralling things in life. If you were to look at the world today, you would see billions of dollars made every year on the subject of fear. In fact, we're seven days out from Halloween, and what do you see all over the movie theaters? Fear. You see movies about fear. As I was thinking about this, I was also thinking about television and how you have television shows based around this subject, and I thought of a show that I used to watch a while back And that show was back in the early 2000s. I know for some of my younger audience, that's going to show how old I am. But that subject of fear, it was put in this show called Fear Factor. How many of you have seen that show or remember or heard of that show? Just about everybody here. Okay. So for those of you who have not seen it, let me give you a quick synopsis. What they would do in this show is they would bring in contestants in teams, and they would pit them against other teams. And they would try to expose them to some of the worst fears they could imagine and see either who could complete tasks the quickest or last the longest. And as I was thinking about this, I started to look at some of the episodes and to kind of think back on these. And what they would do is they would try to do all this to to win a large sum of money. And that depended on the season that they were in. So let me give you some examples of some fears that these contestants had to conquer. In one episode they had women who were placed in a bathtub. And in that bathtub, they dumped a whole bunch of chicken wings, and on top of those chicken wings, they dumped dozens of rats. Now, the men had to fish the chicken wings out of the tubs using only their mouths. In another episode, they sat contestants down, and they strapped them into a chair, and they set before them ten needles. And those needles went from smallest to largest. And what they do is they would take the needles and put them into their arms one at a time to see who could last the longest. In another episode, they took women, and, and by the way, I never figured out why women got the worst of this always, but this is what, the way the show was designed. They took women and they put them in this tunnel, and they strapped them down in this tunnel, and this tunnel was filled with Tarantulas. The men were then taken and placed in these lockers, these freezers that were full of blocks of ice, and the men had to search through these blocks of ice to find keys that they could then use to go free the women from the tarantulas. Well, one guy decided that he was too cold, so he decided to step outside and warm him up for a while and left his partner in the tarantulas for 17 minutes. I would imagine that they're no longer a couple, Either that or she had quite a few things to say to him afterward. And perhaps the worst episode I saw, and this one's, just, this one's just bad, they took women and they put them into a bathtub full of leeches for 30 seconds. Then they pulled them out of the bathtub, and their male counterparts had to come and suck 30 of those leeches off of them and spit them into a jar. But that's not all. The contestants then had to eat a total of 10 of those leeches. Yeah. And I can see the response on you right now. You're instantly thinking, okay, if I were in that circumstance, man, I'd be terrified. And and that's true. I think if we were to be honest, these subjects of like rats and needles and leeches and tarantulas, and we could probably add snakes and sharks and alligators to that, maybe even fear of heights. The reality is these are fears we all have in common. And you know what was interesting is that they were able to conquer these fears in order to get a large sum of money. And as I was thinking about that, and as I was thinking about you guys, I thought about the fact that there is a fear in this room that we all have in common that we need to conquer for a much greater reason than money. And that is the fear of sharing the gospel. So as we get to the book of 1 Peter, that's exactly what Peter is speaking about. Now let me set the context for you a little bit as to what's going on in this particular passage. So Peter is writing his letter to a a number of churches in that area, uh, in the area that he's writing to, and these churches were experiencing persecution like never before. This was during the reign of Nero, and and Nero was one of the worst at finding new ways to torture and kill Christians. And what happened was, because the circumstances were so bad, these Christians began to shrink back. And so Peter writes a letter to them to help them understand how they can stand firm and how they can go forward with the gospel. Now, if you were to look at chapter 1, Peter writes chapter 1 to talk about this great salvation they have. And he reminds them of the fact that the reason that they can move forward is because of what Christ has done for them. In chapter 2, he gives them a lot of great examples to help remind them of their spiritual status in Christ and why this should push them forward into sharing the gospel. And in chapter 3, what he does is he ties these two together in this great application, and he's going to talk to them about how they can apply their faith in some very difficult circumstances. And so out of this text, I find really one point that I want you to hold on to, okay? If we were looking at this text, there's one thing I would want you to see out of this text, and I'm going to come back to it later. So if you're taking notes, you can jot this down, okay? This is it. Our fears are an opportunity for our faith to overcome. See, I think that's what Peter is telling us today. Our fears, those fears we all have, are an opportunity for our faith to overcome, The title of this message is How to Conquer Your Fear Factor. And so what I want to do is I want to show you what Peter has to say specifically and how to address the fears that we all deal with. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to have you all stand. We're going to read from verse 15, and then I'm going to pray, and we'll get into the message, okay? Verse 15 says this, But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense To anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Father, we come to you today in the name of Jesus. We ask you, Father, that you would help us to conquer our fears. That you would help us to stay steadfast in serving Christ. That you would help us to move forward regardless of the opposition that we face. And, Father, that you would be glorified in everything that we say and everything that we do as we go out in this world that needs to hear about the hope of Christ. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. May I have have a seat? So as we get in this text, I want to outline kind of three fears that I see that we all have, three things that kind of prevent us from sharing the gospel, and Peter's three responses or the principles he gives us to help us conquer those fears. So the first fear is this. If we're to be honest, the gospel is just not really pressing. It's not really that important to share. That's, and you say, okay, well, wait a minute. That's not really a fear. And that is true. But there is a fear that is lurking behind that that causes it to not be pressing and a fear that is missing that should make it pressing. So the fear that is lurking behind it that causes it to not be pressing is the fear of man. We fear man more than we fear God. And the fear that is missing is the reverence of God. Because what Peter is going to tell us is that if we get our hearts right and we get Christ as the main thing in our life, then what's going to happen is this is going to drive us to make sharing the gospel the most important thing that we do. And so Peter tells us here, be ready to share at any time. Be ready to share at any time. Notice what he says in verse 15. He says, honor Christ the Lord As holy in your hearts. So he starts from this point, okay? He could go anywhere with starting about sharing the gospel. What what does he do? He focuses first and foremost on the relationship that you and I have with Jesus Christ. He says, This is the most important thing. If you get this right, this will help you share the gospel. Now, it's an interesting way that Peter phrases this here. That word honor could really be translated as sanctify or set apart. And it's something that you do from one point in the past moving on all the way through the future, and it's something you do yourself, okay? So it's not something that somebody else does to you. This is something you have to actively do yourself. If I were to phrase this out of the Greek, here's the way I would phrase this. You yourself make sure to actively always set Christ apart in your own life as holy. You say, well, why is that important? Here's the reason it's important. One of the biggest reasons that we don't share Christ, if we're just being honest, is it's just not that important. It's not that pressing. Pastor Doug said that a few weeks ago. He said it's not a priority. It's, it's on our if I get to it list. And here's the problem, okay? If it's on our if I get to it list, we will never get to it. Let me give you a reason why. I was reading through an article the, the other day on HuffPost, and they were outlining how long the average person lives and how much time is spent doing certain things throughout life. So they said the average person lives 79 years of age. That's the average life in the United States. Now, they said 26 years of that is spent sleeping. So a third of your life right now is gone just being asleep. They said, but that's not all. Seven years is spent trying to get to sleep. So you, you add that up and you've got, what, like 33 years just in some sort of sleeping activity, trying to get to sleep or being asleep. 13 years of that, you're going to spend working. 11 and a half years of that, you're going to spend on screen time. That's computers, TVs, and cell phones. And, four and a half years of that, you're going to spend eating. Just in those five tasks, you've just spent 62 years out of your 79 years. That's 78% of your life is gone in those five things. Now, that doesn't count friends. That doesn't count family. That doesn't count your home or any of the million other things church that come into that picture. See, the reality is, if, Christ, if sharing Christ is on our if-I-get-to-it list, we're never going to get to it, because there's just not enough time. And by the way, did you notice that none of these things in here were inherently bad? See, this represents one of the greatest traps that Satan sets for us. And I want you to see this, okay? We often think, okay, the traps that Satan sets for us, the traps that the enemy sets for us, it's all bad things. It's all the sins. We read about them all throughout Scripture, and we say, okay, i got to avoid this sin, i got to avoid this sin, i got to avoid this sin, because we read Scripture, and they're everywhere throughout Scripture. But one of the greatest traps that Satan sets for us is actually good things. James Merritt put it this way. He said, a good thing can become a bad thing when it keeps you from the best thing. See, what Christ wants for us and from us isn't good things. He wants for us and from us the best things. And what Peter is saying here is when we set Christ apart as he commands, as God commands, when we make Christ the most important thing, when we understand the gravity of the sacrifice that he has made from us, then it will naturally lead us to share Christ at any time. Let me give you an example of this from the life of Jeremiah. Jeremiah is one of these people who got it, one of these people who, you know, Christ became the most, or God became the most important thing. And Jeremiah puts it this way in Jeremiah chapter 20 and verse 9. He says, If I say, I will not mention him or speak any more in his name, then in my heart, as it were a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I am weary with holding it in, and I cannot. See, what Jeremiah is telling us and what Peter is telling us is that if we get our heads and our hearts right, then our hands are going to follow. What they're saying to us is that a godly fear, a priority of God, making God the most important thing in our lives will drive out a worldly fear. See, in order to make sharing Christ important, we have to make Christ the most important person in our lives. And until we do that, We are going to struggle with sharing the gospel at any time as Peter commands. And so the first problem or fear that we see is that it's not pressing, and Peter says, okay, here's the response to this. Be ready to share at any time. The second fear that I see that we notice is I'm not prepared. If we're to be honest, one of the greatest fears that people have and that we have right now is I'm going to get asked a question that I don't know the answer to, and then what am I going to do? And Peter says this. Peter says, be ready to share in any way. So be ready to share at any time, but also be ready to share in any way. This, verse 15, he says this, always being prepared to make a defense. Now, there's a problem here, okay? The problem is there are a lot of people in the church who don't think this is necessary today. Let me give you an example of this. George Barna did a study just recently, and he found that 47% of millennials think that it is wrong to share your faith with someone of a different faith in the hopes of converting them. That means that half of all people between the ages of 40 and 25 think it's wrong to share their faith with somebody from another faith in the hopes that they might come to understand that Jesus Christ is the only way. And Peter tells us that that thought process is 100% wrong. He uses the word always here. He's saying we need to always be prepared, always be ready. It shows the need for constant preparation, constant readiness. And he he backs this up with the word prepared. Now, here's an interesting word because it draws into picture an Old Testament metaphor. And that Old Testament metaphor is the girding of the loins. It means very little to you right now because we don't do that in our culture, okay? But if you were in ancient Israel, what would happen is you'd have these long robes around you, And as you can imagine, if any, I mean, women have been in dresses, they know this, it's not exactly easy to do a lot of physical activities when you're in a dress, okay? So when you're girding your loins, when you're in this Old Testament culture, what they do is they take the edges of the robe and they would tuck them into their belt. And the idea is that they would be prepared for whatever physical activity was necessary. So Peter draws in this metaphor and this word here, and he says, okay, what I want you guys to do is I want you to be physically, emotionally, spiritually, and mentally prepared to be ready to share in any way. See, what Peter is sharing with us here is that the amount of preparation that we put in is going to directly affect the proclamation that we put out. He uses the word here, apologia, and it's, it's an interesting word. It's uh, where we get our English word apologetics from. That's the word for the word defense. And this word is typically used in a courtroom setting. So what would happen is you would get into a courtroom and they would provide their apologetic, and their apologetic was information and evidence to prove either innocence or guilt. But the way Peter uses this word is a little bit more differently. He broadly applies this word, And he says, okay, look, here's what you need to be prepared to do. You need to be ready to give a defense of information and evidence that would succeed in a courtroom in any setting that you find yourself in. In other words, what he's saying is we need to have a diversity of information so that we can be ready to share in any way necessary. But perhaps I would say not like the people in this story I heard about, I heard about a church that was meeting for worship, and the people had gathered together, and they'd taken their seats. And just before the service was about to start, right in front of the stage, a dark and malevolent figure appeared. And that dark and malevolent figure was indeed Satan. And the people in the church began to flee in terror. They began to run out of the room until only Satan and one older gentleman were left. And Satan was surprised that anybody was left at all. And so he went up to the older gentleman, and he said, do you know who I am? The older gentleman said, yes, I do. Satan said, well, aren't you afraid? The older gentleman said, no, not really. Satan was puzzled and he said, well, don't you know that I have the ability right now to kill you where you stand? And the older gentleman said, yes, I do. Satan said, don't you know that I have the ability to make you suffer agony for eternity in hell? And the older gentleman said, yes, that's right. Satan looked at me and said, well, then why aren't you afraid? The older gentleman looked at Satan and he said, well, you see, for the last 48 years, I've been married to your sister. (laughs) Couldn't help. He said, well, what's the point of that joke? Nothing. I just thought it was funny. No, there is a point, okay? There is a point. So stay with me, okay? I know you're used to Doug. Stay with me, okay? If we can't spot all the bad theology and biblical errors in that joke, then how are we going to be able to provide real answers to the real questions that are being asked of us? See, Peter says it this way. We need to be ready. We need to be prepared in any way necessary to answer the questions that were being asked of us. Let me give you another example. Just uh, last week, my wife and I were sitting down to watch College Game Day before another wild and crazy day of uh, college football, more upsets, things like that. And, And as I'm watching College Game Day, I... I don't really care as much about what the the hosts are saying because they're basically saying everything I already know anyway. And so instead, I'm curious about all the signs that are in the background. I want to see the clever signs that the fans come up with. So I said, okay, we're we're looking at these signs, and all of a sudden, right in the middle of the screen, I see two signs. Moontruth.net, learn the truth about the moon. And I'm like, what in the world is that? I'm like, I've got to check this. Because I'm insatiably curious. So I'm like, okay, I've got to check this out. So my wife has her phone, and she's like, okay, I'll look it up. So she goes to the website, and she begins laughing. And I'm like, what's wrong? And she said, well, in just over three months, the moon is going to crash into the earth and kill all life. I said, oh, is that all three months? That's not bad. And and she said, oh, it gets better. She said, they're talking about how this is the biggest conspiracy and cover-up in the history of the world. Now you hear that, and you say, okay, look. There's information and there's evidence to disprove that. That theory is just absolutely crazy. If anything, we know that the moon is getting further from the earth, not closer to it, and you would be right. But here's the point. People say the same things about the gospel. People say those miracles that happened, people who are paralyzed don't just start walking. People who are blind don't just start seeing. That resurrection that you talk about People don't come back from the dead. That stuff is crazy, and they would be wrong because there's information and there's evidence to prove that it did occur. But if you don't take it to them, how are they going to find that out? You say, well, how do we do this? How do we prepare? Well, the way that we do this is we have to spend time in the Word. We've got to ask a lot of questions, and we've got to look for a lot of answers. There's no easy way around it. It's going to take time, it's going to take preparation, but I'll tell you, we live in a day and age where we are absolutely blessed to have a variety of resources at our fingertips. We have a thing called the internet. A lot of you have heard of it, a lot of you have used it. It's amazing, you can just type in anything and find answers. This isn't like, like when I grew up as a kid, okay, we had an encyclopedia. Like, the internet didn't exist, so when we wanted something, we had to go there for our information. And that stuff was always like 20 years out of date. Now we have all the information we need right at our fingertips. But I want to give you a a, a weapon, a tactic that you can use while you're learning, while you're preparing, while you're studying that will help you during this interim time. And that's this. I want to give you three words, okay? These three words are amazing. Okay, ready? I don't know. That's your three words. That's your tactic to win. And you say, well, how does that help us win? Well, I'll give you three ways that it helps us win. Number one. By the way, Doug said this last week. I, I listened to the sermon as I was gone last week. He said the exact same thing. He said, use this phrase, I don't know. Here's why it's so good. Number one, because it gives you an opportunity to actually go and find a good answer. So it buys you time. Number two, because saying the wrong thing is worse than saying nothing. It'd be better if you said nothing than give him the wrong answer, because that's just going to come up eventually. Number three, because what you can do is you can actually use this tactic to set up another opportunity to speak to them. You say, well, how do we do this? Here's how you do this. You say, okay, look, I don't know the answer to your question, but I'm going to go find an answer. Can we get together tomorrow at this time and have a conversation about this again, and I'll give you your answer? And what have you done? You've just set up another opportunity to share the gospel with them. Now, I will say, do not use this all the time. Because if you use this all the time, it's going to reflect poorly on you, it's going to reflect poorly on the gospel, and it's going to reflect poorly on what Peter commanded us to do. But while you're studying, while you're preparing, while you're learning, while you're growing, take this tactic and use it to help you in those conversations that you deal with so that you don't have to be worried about whether or not they're going to ask you a question that you don't know the answer to. See, Peter is telling us that if we're going to be able to share in any way, it's going to take time. It's going to take study, and it's going to take practice. But I'll tell you, it's well worth it when you get out there and start sharing your faith. And so the first thing that we saw as a fear or problem is that the gospel just really wasn't pressing. And Peter said, be ready to share at any time. Then we saw that, you know, another fear that we had was that I'm not prepared. And Peter said, okay, be ready to share in any way. But there's a third fear, and this is lingering in the background for all of us. It's just not popular. See, if I go out there and I share my faith, people are going to mock me. They're going to reject me. They're going to laugh at me. They're going to make fun of me. Look, the world just doesn't want to hear that message. And Peter tells us, here's what I have to say to that. Be ready to share with anyone. Verse 15, he says this, To anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it, with gentleness and respect. See, the hope that is in us reminds us of what we share, why we share, and how we share. Christ is our king, and he can give us the courage to conquer those fears. But I want you to understand something. When you go out and you start sharing your faith, don't expect those fears to just disappear. They're not going to go away. And it's actually a good thing that those fears don't go away, because you know what those fears do? Those fears lead us to rely on Jesus Christ for strength in those times. Christ didn't come to take away our fears. Christ came to help us rely on him so that he could help us conquer our fears. Adrian Rogers put it this way. He said, Courage isn't the absence of fear, but the addition of power to meet those fears. What we share is the hope of Christ. Why we share is the hope of Christ, and how we share should be to focus on the hope that they can have in Jesus Christ. And when we do this, I'm going to tell you we need to prepare ourselves for the fact that we're not going to be popular. We're not going to be liked by the world. Listen, if you came to Christianity thinking that you were going to be popular, you're in the wrong place. Jesus put it this way in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 22. He says, you will be hated by all for my name's sake. He put it this way again in John chapter 15, verses 18 through 19. He said, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. See, our concern should always be toward who will hear us, not toward what they will think of us. Let's not forget that Jesus suffered shame and rejection for us. And listen, we ought to be willing to do the same for him. And when we do this, Jesus has given us a promise. Here it is, Matthew chapter 5, verses 10-12. I love this. This is a great reminder. You should remind yourselves of this when you are uh, dealing with rejection. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. See, when you go out and take the gospel, you're going to be put on trial by just about everyone and in just about every way. And our concern should never be for how people will respond to us or how they will think what they will think of us. Our concern should never be for whether or not they will like us or receive us if we share with them, but rather to share with anyone and everyone who will hear us. And he said, well how do we do this? Well Peter tells us here, right? He says with gentleness and respect See, what Peter's arguing for here is meekness, not weakness. Some people think we need to go out in weakness and share the gospel, but Peter's not saying that. He's saying we need to be meek in how we share the gospel. What he's advocating for here is that we go out and we courageously and kindly contend for the faith, not concede core teachings just to be more popular or to be more liked. See, I want to share something with you. If we go out there and we concede parts of Scripture just to be more liked, then we lose, and so do they. We lose because our power is in the sword of the Spirit. It's in this book. And if we break that sword, we have no power. They lose because what other source of hope is there if we've broken the only source of hope that they have, which is the Word of God pointing us to the fact that Jesus Christ died to save us from our sins? However, if we take the gospel, we go out there, conquer our fears, and we share with people, then Christ is going to do amazing and incredible things through us and in us for his kingdom. Reminds me of back when I was in college, I was going on a mission trip to Louisville, Kentucky in conjunction with Baptist Collegiate Ministries, and we were uh, going to work with a seminary, a uh, southern seminary up in Louisville, Kentucky, and a church there. And we were working with that church in conjunction with the Kentucky Derby. And this was my first mission trip ever. So I'm super excited to go, can't wait, want to get all sorts of opportunities to share the gospel. And we get there, and I remember the the first several days, I was just kind of disappointed. I just hadn't had any opportunity to share my faith with anyone, and I just, it just wasn't working out for me. I was just kind of depressed a little bit that I hadn't gotten those opportunities. And this continued till finally the last day, we were asked to go hand out some flyers to a local parade that was uh, going on in the area in conjunction with the Kentucky Derby. And we were given a stack of about 20 flyers. Now, I don't know how many of you have handed out flyers before. 20 flyers in a crowd takes you like five seconds. So my flyers were gone in no time flat. And so where everybody else is, so they were all kind of. We were all just kind of standing around watching the parade, and I just kind of felt, just not at peace with this. I'm like, okay, I came to share the gospel, so I'm going to find a way to do that. So what I did was I pulled out a whole bunch of tracks, you know, like those ones Doug has been showing with us, except the really older ones that we used to have. So I pulled out a bunch of these and I began to just hand them to people, and I just said, hey, listen, Jesus loves you, and I hope you read this if you get a chance, just to see if I could get into some conversations. Well, I tried several times and nothing was really sticking. Until finally, I came to this one man and this guy was about six feet, six tall. So I'm looking up at this guy and I'm like, hey, I just want to let you know that Jesus loves you. And I hope you read this if you get a chance. And I'll tell you, in that instance, when I said that, this guy became irate. I mean, he was physically, like his expression changed. He began to yell at me, to curse me out. I mean, just at the top of his lungs. And I'll tell you, in that moment, fear just gripped me. I mean, I was actually afraid he was going to attack me. And so I just started praying in that moment. And God said to me, he said, hey, look, you're a little taller than David. He's a lot shorter than Goliath. I'll work it out. (laughs) So I said, okay, God. I said, it's good enough for me. So as soon as I could, I kind of moved away from that. And I have to admit, I still you know how when you get in one of those situations where you're really tense and the adrenaline kicks in and it just, you can't settle down. And so we're walking away from the parade back to the church and I can just feel the fear on me and I'm just praying and I'm just trying to hand out tracts, but I'm just not really into it. So we get uh, back to the church and I'm on the other side of the church and I see some guys standing there and I hand them a track, and I say, hey, I just want to let you know Jesus loves you and I hope you read this if you get a chance. I walk back across the street to where the rest of our group is. No sooner did I get there than those two men came over to me. And they said, we don't know what this says. Can you tell us what this says? Like, you don't have to ask me twice. I'm like, sure. So I start sharing with them how you know, Christ died for their sins, how they can be forgiven of their sins, and how they can have eternal life in, in him. And they say, okay, we're already believers, but we have some friends that live with us who are not believers. Can you come share with them? And I said, absolutely. So I start to go over, and some of my friends are like, well, wait a minute, this isn't the best neighborhood. Maybe this isn't safe. And I'm like, look, I'm not married. I don't have kids. I'm going. So I go across the street, and one of my friends comes with me. And out of this house come a total of 13 people, 13 people. And they share with us that they're from the Sudan. In fact, they were telling us about how bad the situation was there. They were showing us the scars on their body, missing fingers from just trying to get out of the country because it was so bad in the Sudan. So they take me to the, to the two of their friends that don't know Jesus, and they say, hey, we want you to share with them exactly what you just shared with us. And I said, absolutely. So I start to share with them about how they can have hope in Christ, how they can have forgiveness of their sins. And after sharing with them a couple of minutes, I say, hey, listen, would you guys like to know that you can be forgiven of your sins and have Jesus Christ as your Lord right now? And they say yes. So I lead both of them in a prayer. There's Nothing magical about the prayer, just kind of helping them understand the concepts of what they're committing to Christ. And they pray to receive Christ right there. Well, while that's happening, the rest of our group came over. So you got 13 of them. you got now 20 of us who are on the mission trip. And there's a lot of conversations going on. And so some of the neighbors started coming out, wondering why are all these, all these people on the streets? What are they talking about? And so one of the neighbors right next door, a couple of them came over, started asking what was going on, and one of my friends went over and began to share the gospel with them. And two of them right there prayed to receive Jesus Christ. So we get back to the church. We get, I get all their contact information. We go back to the church, and the pastor comes up to me and says, hey, listen, what was going on over there? And so I kind of run through all the details with him. I share what happened. And he said, Do you still have the list of the, the names and, and contact information of those men? I said, Yeah, I do. It's right here. He said, Can you bring that with you when you come to the seminary tonight? I've got somebody I want you to meet. I'm like, OK, that's cryptic, whatever. So we get back to the seminary. We just finished eating dinner. We go to meet that pastor. The pastor brings a friend along with him. And he says, I want to introduce you guys to this man this man is from the Sudan. He's a pastor from the Sudan. And he has been called by God to plant a church right in this area to minister to Sudanese refugees. And he has been praying that God would give him people for his church. You might be saying, you know, that's great. I'm glad that happened to you. But is something like that really going to happen to me? Let me ask you a question. What did I do that was so great? All I did was take some tracks and tell some people that Jesus loved them. God was the one who brought those men over to me. God was the one who encouraged them to speak to me. God was the one who sent me over to them to speak to their friends. God was the one that died to redeem them of their sins. God was the one who saved them. God was the one who helped me overcome my fears to be able to do any of this. I said it before at the very beginning. I told you I'd come back to it. What Peter has been telling us is that our fears are an opportunity for our faith to overcome. But before I close, I want to share with you one sad truth from that story. Those 13 Sudanese people and their neighbors, they'd been living across the street from that church for years, and nobody from that church had reached out to them. Let me ask you a question. Is that going to be the story of our church? Or is the story of our church going to be a group of people who conquer their fears, go out boldly in the name of Jesus Christ, and begin to share with people? I think it's going to be that. I think this church is a church that is already full of people, and is going to be full of people who are going to go out at any time, in any way, and speak with anyone. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes just a minute? I want to share with you some next steps. The first of these next steps is maybe you just haven't made Christ the most important thing. Maybe you are just not pursuing him as passionately as you used to. Then for you, the next step you need to do right now is to make Christ the most important thing in your life to say, Christ, I'm all in. Whatever you want from me, I'm going to give it. Others of you here today, maybe you are just not prepared. You haven't studied, you haven't prepped, you haven't learned answers to questions, and maybe the challenge for you today is to say, okay, I'm just going to start asking all sorts of questions and trying to find the answers so that I can be prepared to give answers to people when they have a need. Others of you here, maybe... It's that you just aren't sharing with people and you know the name of somebody right now. God's putting the name of somebody on your heart right now that needs to hear the gospel that you know. And maybe the challenge for you is that you need to share with that individual. You need to say, you know what, Christ, I'm going to share with that person. But there's another fear that needs to be conquered here and that's by those of you who are outside of Christ and that fear is just the fear of giving your life over to Jesus Christ, of letting him be in control. One of the the things we want most in life is to be in control of our lives. And it can be scary to give your life over to Jesus Christ. But it's the most meaningful decision you'll ever make. And so maybe today the challenge is for you to give your life to Jesus Christ. Maybe you're here today and you're saying, I don't know Jesus Christ. I don't know what's going to happen when I die. I have all of the weight of this sin upon me, of the mistakes that I've made, and it's crushing me, and I want to know that there's forgiveness. If you want to know that, then there's going to be some people standing on either side of the room. We're going to have Jason and Kelly and Pat and Willie. And so today, if you want to know for certain, if you want to nail that down and start following Jesus Christ today, then you can do that. And I'm just going to ask that when, when we sing or even immediately after the service that you get with these people, get with me. Don't, don't leave this building without telling somebody that today you want to make a decision to follow Jesus Christ. Father, we are thankful for the opportunity that we have together. We are thankful for your word. We're thankful for the courage that you give us in the midst of fear. We're thankful that you died to save us from our sins. And we're thankful that you've called us to be a part of the ministry and mission that you've given us. And God, we just pray that you would give us boldness as we go out, that you would give us passionate pursuit of you as we go out. And God, that we would be able to see people come to know you and experience the greatest transition ever, which is the transition from hell to heaven, from death to life. And we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.